0: All right, if you will take your Bibles out. Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 7. This morning we'll continue on with our series, working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And we find ourselves this morning in Mark 7, beginning in verse number 24. And I'll read down to verse number 30. The Bible says, And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into an house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him, and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter." But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way. The devil has gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. And God, we just want to thank you for, Lord, the truth that we have heard, Lord, through song this morning. And God, as we gather around your word this morning, I pray that you would, Lord, speak to our hearts. God, I pray that you would show us great and wondrous things out of your word. And Lord, I pray that we would have hearts ready to receive the word of God this morning. Father, I pray that as we look at this this account before us, as we look at Christ, and also as we look at the persistent faith of this woman, God, I pray that we would be challenged, Lord. Lord, just uh, with the same, Lord, to have the same sort of faith within our life. Lord, a faith that continues asking and seeking and knocking and and coming to Christ again and again and again. God, I pray, Lord, you would help us this morning, God. Help me as I preach and as I teach this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help me, Father, to say what you would have me to say. And Lord, I pray that you would just help me to say, uh, Lord, just nothing more, nothing less, Lord, than what you desire. And Father God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified, Lord, in all that is said and, and also in how we respond to your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, last week, again, we looked at verse number 14 down to verse number 23. Uh, but really, this passage that we looked at last week goes back even further uh, to verse number one. Verse number one down to where we stopped last week is really a whole a passage that goes together. Um, again, we did break it up into two sermons because, uh, again, there were really two different, you know, emphases within the different sections of Scripture. Uh, but it's the same setting. It's, it's the same account. It's the same. Um, again, Christ, we, we, again, we saw him clashing with the religious establishment of his day. Uh, again, they had been caught up in their traditions and their own teachings and the teachings of the rabbis so much so that they had been blinded to the truth of the word of God. And Jesus exposed them for that. Jesus Jesus told them the truth, but there was a reason why they, they, again, refused to recognize and receive the truth that Christ was preaching. And it was because they had been blinded by their pride and they had been blinded by their traditions, again, that they had believed and that they had come up with over all these years that led to an apostasy from the word of God. And then last week, Jesus used that encounter as a springboard to talk about the nature of true defilement. According to the Pharisees, again, it defiled a man, again, if he ate his food with unwashing hands. If he ate his food without going through this, this ceremonial cleansing that the Jews had prescribed upon the people. It was one of those heavy burdens that they had placed upon the people of that day. And they saw a man again would be defiled, he would be made unclean. And that's why they again again, that's why they pointed out the disciples, because remember the disciples did that very thing. They ate a meal uh, with unwashing hands. Therefore they criticized them for that. Well Jesus made it clear that it is not what is from without, it is from, it is what is from within that defiles a person. Again, a person is defiled because of a defiled heart. A person says corrupt things and does corrupt things because of corruption that is in their heart. Again, we are sinners by nature. We sin because we are sinners. We sin because we have a sinful heart. And because of that, we need a new heart. We need a new birth. We need a new nature. It's called regeneration. It's called salvation. And whenever a person is born again by the spirit of God, when a person repents and believes the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are made a new creature in Christ. Again, God gives them a new nature. He makes them a new creature. He gives them a new heart that, that loves God, that loves righteousness. That's truly man's greatest need. And Jesus here has been speaking to the Jews. He has been speaking to the multitude of Jews, but also to the Jewish religious leaders. But in our text this morning and also next week, we see here that Jesus, who has spent the bulk of his time in Galilee, uh, around the Sea of Galilee, again in Capernaum and again some of the other cities in that area, ministering primarily to a Jewish audience. Jesus Christ steps out of Jewish territory and he goes into Gentile territory, uh, we see here in these passages, to perform some miracles and to help some people that are in need. And in our passage today, again, we see the power of Christ and we see the compassion of Christ. But we also see a persistent faith of an unlikely woman, the persistent faith of an unlikely woman. So let's pick up here in verse number 24 and let's consider the place where this this encounter happened, where Christ met this woman. um, And we see that here in verse 24. And here's what it says. The Bible says, and from thence he arose... And went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon, and entered into a an house, and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. So we see here that Jesus and his disciples, they, again, they exit Jewish territory, which is where they have spent the bulk of their time, where they've done the bulk of their ministry. And they go to a region, again, that they haven't been to before. It's this region up here, Phoenicia, and you can see it up here, Tyre and Sidon. The Bible says this is the area where Christ went. Now, again, if we've seen this map before, and again, we know that Christ has spent the bulk of his time in Galilee ministering. You have Cana, you have Nazareth, Capernaum. Uh, Again, Christ did cross over the Sea of Galilee once. We talked about that into the the country of the Gadarenes. And eventually, Christ will make his way down into this area as uh, as he nears Calvary. He'll eventually make it down into the Judea area. But as we've seen, Christ has spent the bulk of his time up here in Galilee, But Christ is something that, again, is out of the norm. Christ is something that is not uh, that, that is that is, again, very different than what he has been doing up to this point. Jesus leaves Jewish territory. He leaves Galilee and he goes into Phoenicia. He goes up to the borders of Tyre and Sidon. In these areas here, these are about 40 miles north of Capernaum. Capernaum is the is the city on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, right here, where it really became the headquarters of Christ's earthly ministry. So Christ goes about 40 miles north of this into a region known as Phoenicia, as you can see up there, that is located, uh, again, that borders the Mediterranean Sea. All right, so you have the Mediterranean Sea right there. And as we will see, again, Jesus' ministry, and as we have seen already, Jesus' ministry up to this point has primarily focused on the Jews. All right. again, not that again. Yes, Jesus came and died for the sins of all men, for the sins of the world, Jews and Gentiles. But up to this point, again, Jesus has primarily spent his time in Jewish territory, ministering to Jewish people. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. All right, he has come again. He made uh, again. He has come as the fulfillment again to the promises that were made to the fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac to Jacob, to David, for example. Jesus is that one, again, that, that God promised would come through the Jewish nation, through the tribe of Judah. This is the Jewish Messiah, and he comes to the Jewish nation. And he presents himself as the Messiah to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this is where he has spent the bulk of his time. This trip, however, again, into into gentile territory again, a territory that that jews would avoid Again, they would go around gentile territory because they saw gentiles as unclean all right they they avoided gentiles like like the plague the jews did all right but we see here christ leaving jewish territory going into gentile territory and what this is is this is really a foreshadowing of what is to come this is a foreshadowing of the extension of the gospel beyond just the jews To the gentiles and to the uttermost parts of of the earth and we'll get to that later on when we near the end of this book we find here that jesus enters his territory he goes into a house the bible says if you come back to uh verse number 25 or verse number 24 it says he entered into a house and would have no man know it all right so from time to time jesus would retreat with his disciples they would go to an area where they could have where they could have rest, where they could be secluded, where they could be by themselves. But as has often been the case, that seclusion, that retreat doesn't last very long before people find out that Christ is in that area and people flock to Christ. And that's exactly what happened in this instance here. We see that in verse 24. It says, He entered into a an house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. All right, Jesus couldn't be hid. Again, people heard that he was there. A word spread like wildfire and people flocked to Christ. And there's one person in particular that we want to focus on that flocked to Christ, that came to Christ. And that is this woman with persistent faith. Consider verses 25 through 26. We see the plea that this woman has. This woman has a great need. She comes to the right person. She has faith in Christ that he alone can help her in this desperate situation. We find here her plea to Christ, verses 25 and 26. The Bible says, For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. So let's consider a couple of things. Again, we've seen these verses. Let's consider who this woman is. Beginning with her background, the Bible says this woman was a Greek. The Bible often refers to, again, non-Jews as Greeks or Gentiles. All right, so this woman was a Greek. She was Gentile. Again, maybe she was influenced by Greek culture. Uh, Maybe she spoke the Greek language. Again, we don't know, but the Bible refers to her as as Greek. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew, which we're actually going to go there in just a little bit, but the Gospel of Matthew refers to her as a woman of Canaan. All right, she is a descendant of the Canaanites. And if you remember back to the Old Testament, the Canaanites were the ancient enemies of the Jewish people. All right, there was much battling that happened between the Jews and between the Canaanites, again, back in Old Testament times. All right, so she is a woman of Canaan. She is a descendant of the ancient Canaanites. The Bible says her nation, her nationality, she is Syrophoenician. Um, again, we see that in these verses here. But why is her background as a Gentile so significant? Again, why why are we even taking time to, uh, again, to point out the fact that she is a Greek, she is a Syrophoenician, again, she is a Gentile, she is a woman of Canaan? Why is that so significant? Again, it's significant because of the fact that she is not a Jew. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She's not included in that group, she is not an Israelite. She is not Jewish. She does not. She cannot trace her lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, she traces her, back, her, her lineage back to the Canaanites, the ancient enemies of, of the Jews. And as you study the life of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, the Bible makes it clear, again, that God has a special place in his heart for the Jews. For the nation of Israel. Again, way back when God called Abraham to leave his, uh, to leave his homeland, again, his, his pagan homeland, and follow after Christ and follow after God. Again, not knowing where he went, simply stepping out in faith, trusting God. You can go back to the Old Testament and you can read about the promises that God made to Abraham and then passed on to Isaac, and then passed on to Jacob. And again, those, those promises were passed down throughout the, the Jewish lineage, down through David and and beyond. And as we look at the nation of Israel, we see that God made them distinct and special promises that he didn't give to other nations. God gave them special privileges that he didn't give to other nations. God gave them the scriptures. God gave them the prophets. God gave them the tabernacle. God gave them the temple. God gave them ultimately the Messiah, the Messiah who would come through Jewish Lineage. So this woman appears on the scene here and in, in these verses, and we find again that she is not a part of that lineage. She's not a Jew. She's not an Israelite. All right. She, she cannot trace her lineage back to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. She was a stranger. She was an outsider, you could say, to the covenant promises that God had made to the nation of Israel. She was from a a, a pagan Gentile nation, a nation that the Jews would have looked down upon. And they they would have looked down upon these nations as being filled with violence and and, and sin and idolatry. And she would have have been a woman. Again, that was the exception to the norm. And whenever it comes to those that Christ primarily ministered to early in his ministry. But here's the thing. Whenever Jesus Christ came into this world, he made it clear, again, that he had come again, in fulfillment of the promises he had made to the fathers. In fulfillment to the promises he had made to the patriarchs, to Abraham and, and the others. And he came to Israel, born in Israel, presented himself as the Jewish Messiah to the Jewish nation. And he preached a kingdom message, offering a kingdom a messianic kingdom to the Jewish people. And he was the messianic king. He was the king of kings. He was the Lord of lords. He was the promised one, the descendant of David, the one who had set upon the throne of David, the Bible promise. If you remember back to Jesus sending sending the 12 out to preach, remember the first time, Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus specifically told them, if you actually go back to Matthew 10, Jesus specifically told them to go to the Israelites. Back in Matthew chapter number 10, Jesus said to his 12, the first time he sent them out, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has come. The messianic kingdom is being offered. Okay, but the people must repent and acknowledge their kingdom in order for that kingdom to come. Jesus told them, again, don't go in the way of the Gentiles. Don't go in the way of the Samaritans. Go specifically to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, this, was, this was according to God's plan. This is Jesus Christ, the Jewish king of Jewish lineage, who has come to the Jewish nation to offer them the messianic kingdom that he has promised to the Jews. And he came offering that kingdom to them as the, as the king that, that had been promised, that would set upon David's throne. And Christ had come primarily, again, for this purpose. And we see, we see the playing out of that, especially early on in his ministry. Again, we know eventually the gospel, the gospel commission that Christ gave to his church will be extended. And he'll say, go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Preach to every creature, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to the Samaritans, to everyone. Get the gospel to every single person. But we do see that Jesus did have a primary mission to reach the Israelites, to go to the Jew first. We see that being played out even in this passage before us. Consider this woman's problem. Again, this woman here had a great problem that only Jesus could help. This woman had a daughter with an unclean spirit. All right? Her daughter was, was, was vexed by this unclean spirit, by this demon she was, she was possessed by. And this reminds us of the character of Satan. Again, Satan and his demons, again, they vex, they torment. They bring misery into a person's life. You know, Satan comes along and he promises liberty and freedom... But he actually what he's hiding is the fact that he actually brings bondage and misery and torment into a person's life. So consider with me the woman's plea. She comes to Christ. She hears of Christ. She comes and she falls at the feet of Christ. She comes reverently. I mean, she comes the right way. She comes reverently. She comes with a sense of humility falling at her feet. The gospel of Matthew tells us that uh, in Matthew 15:22, that as she fell at the feet of Christ, she cried out. She said, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. It's in Matthew 15:22. So we see here that she has come the right way. She's come with a sense of desperation. Her daughter is vexed by a demon. She needs help. She comes to the right person. She comes with humility, falling at his feet. She comes with faith, recognizing that only Christ could help her. She, she cries out for mercy to the only one who can show her mercy. And she comes with understanding. This is, this is interesting. Again, how she heard of this, how she came to this understanding, we don't know. But she had understanding of who Christ was. Notice here, again, she's not a Jew. But she refers to Christ as the Son of David, which is a which is a messianic title. She comes to him and she cries out, "Lord, which means Master." And she recognizes his Lordship. She comes to him and she cries out, "Son of David, that's a messianic title. she somehow some way, even though she didn't grow up in a Jewish environment, she came to the realization that this was, again, the promised one. This was the Messiah. This was the one that God had promised, again, to come through Jewish lineage and to come as a Savior from from sin. And this is fascinating to think about. You know, Jesus' own family and friends and neighbors, they rejected him. Remember that in Nazareth? He went twice, and both times, the first time, they tried to cast him over the edge of a hill. The second time, they simply ignored him. They were uninterested in his message. They tried to explain him away because they didn't want to receive the message of Christ. His own friends, his own family, his own people rejected him. Ultimately, his own nation rejected him. The Jews, for the most part, rejected him in his first coming. He came and offered a kingdom as the messianic king. Again, but they rejected it for the most part. Again, as a nation, they rejected him. Yet you have this woman here. She's not a Jew. She's not from the nation of Israel. She can't trace her lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. None of the special promises and privileges to the Jews belong to her. She's a Gentile from an idolatrous nation. Again, she, she, she comes from the Canaanites. Uh, again, the ancient enemies of Israel. And who are known for their, 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 their violence and their, their idolatry. Yes, she comes and she recognizes that this is the Son of God. She recognized that this is the Messiah. Now, you would expect it to be the other way around, right? You would expect his own friends and family and people and nation to recognize who he is and to bow before him and to to worship him as king and to worship him as Lord. But they don't. They reject him. But you have this woman who who doesn't who doesn't grow up in the light with the light of Scripture, who doesn't, again, have all the privileges and, again, all the promises that God had made to the Israelites. And she comes from a pagan nation and from an idolatrous background. And yet she comes to him and she cries out, Lord, have mercy upon me, thou son of David. She didn't have the privileges. She didn't have the promises. She didn't have the blessings that the Jews had. Yet she came as an outsider looking in, and she recognized, she had the humility to recognize that this was the Son of God. So what was the difference between her and the Jewish nation? Again, well, many in the Jewish nation, as we've already seen with the religious leaders, many of them were too proud and self-righteous to humble themselves and to receive Christ as their Messiah. Whereas this woman, the key ingredient in her life was humility. She came with a sense of humility, again not demanding, but pleading with Christ to have mercy upon her, not boasting of her privileges and of her heritage, but coming as an unworthy Gentile, falling at his feet, recognizing that she had nothing to offer him, but he had everything, again, that she needed. He was the only one who could help her. She recognized who he was because she was she was humble enough to receive him. Again, and, and the truth that he brought. Let's continue on, though. Let's consider the priority in verse number 27. Again, I want to consider the response of Christ to this woman. And at, at first, again, you may be a little bit startled at how Christ responds to this woman. Again, th- this woman, again, she has come to the right person. She has come in the right way. She has come with a legitimate need. I mean, Christ has healed others, and he's cast out uh, other demons of those who have come to him and asking him for help. So you would think that Christ would turn to her and immediately, again, uh, cast out the demon out of her daughter. You would think that that would happen. Again, acknowledging her request, delivering her daughter from this demon. But let's take our Bibles. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 15. This is the parallel accounts that we find here in Mark, and, and Matthew provides a few more details for us. So Matthew chapter number 15, and what you find is if you compare these incidents, is this woman made three pleas overall to Christ. And the first plea that she made to Christ, Christ responded by ignoring her. Christ responded by ignoring the first plea of this woman, her first appeal. Take a look at Matthew 15, verse 23. Uh, go back to verse 22, the middle part of the verse. She came saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. All right, so you'd expect Christ, again, to acknowledge her, to turn to her, to, again, again deliver her daughter from this, uh, th- this torment that she was in. But notice verse 23. But he, that is Christ, answered her not a word. He didn't even answer her. He didn't even give her a word. Alright, so in a sense, he didn't, even, he didn't even acknowledge her request. He didn't acknowledge her plea. And why would that be the case? Well, consider this. Consider the fact that everything Jesus did, said, or refused to say in this instance, was for a greater purpose. It was intentional. Alright, Christ Christ knows everything. Again, He knew that He knew the request that she made. And he knew who she was. He was in control of the entire situation. And he purposefully ignored her. He had a greater purpose in this. That, again, we'll, this we'll see in just a little bit. And Christ was not ignoring her to be rude. Right, Christ is full of compassion. We talked about this morning that Christ delights in showing mercy. All right, Christ has healed many before this and delivered many from demons. And he can easily do this for this woman's daughter as well. And so Jesus ignored her intentionally. And I believe believe the reason is twofold. I believe that, first of all, Jesus ignored her, again, to test this woman's faith. And you saw others who would come to Christ and they would show interest and they would make an appeal. And then uh, soon after that, again, they would turn away from Christ. So Christ was testing her faith to see whether her faith was sincere or superficial. If it was superficial, again, she would simply turn around and and go home and, again, not, not seek him anymore. But if it was truly sincere, she would persist in her plea. She would continue seeking him, asking, seeking, knocking. And that's exactly what she did. I believe the second reason why Jesus responded in this way was he was putting this woman's faith on display before his disciples. He was showing his disciples the kind of faith in this woman, again, that he would soon commend a commendable faith. This woman had a faith unlike, again, unlike the faith of many. This woman had a persistent faith. And that's really what Christ is going to commend her for is the fact, again, that she wouldn't give up. She continued seeking Christ. She continued coming to Christ. She continued appealing. She continued making her plea to Christ. And she came again and again and again. And Christ is putting her faith on full display in the light and before his disciples. The Gospel of Matthew tells us here, again, Christ answered her not a word, but notice what his disciples did. Verse 23 again in Matthew 15. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. Right, so Christ doesn't answer her. And his, then his disciples come along and they say, Lord, send her away. You know, again, she's, again, she's crying after us. Just you leave her alone. Send her away. We don't want anything to do with her. But notice that Christ turns to her. Christ would not send her away. Christ knew what he was doing. He was in control of the entire situation. Again, Christ would respond to her. But remember, he was testing her faith. And he was also showing his disciples a lesson on faith. Through this woman's faith. Through her persistent faith. But notice what Christ says to her. In verse number 24. Matthew 15, 24. But he answered and said... I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that could be discouraging as a Gentile. You know, you want you know that this is the Son of God and you want help and you come for help, and you know Jesus says, Again, I, I'm not sinned but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, I am here for the Israelites. I am here for the Jews. But we see here, Jesus is reminding her. Of the priority of his ministry. Jesus is reminding her of why he came into the world the first time. He came in fulfillment of Jewish prophecies. Again, he again he is born out of the lineage of, of, of the Jewish nation. He came as the Jewish Messiah to the Jewish people. To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Not to the Gentiles, as this woman was. So you think this woman would just give up and go home. Well, again, obviously, again, he can't help her. But notice here, and again, this is the point. Christ is putting her faith on full display because he knows, again, that she's not going to just simply give up. Notice verse number Matthew fifteen twenty-five. Matthew fifteen twenty-five. She makes a second appeal. All right, so she's made a first appeal. Christ ignored her. The disciples tried to send her away. And then Christ says, again, I, I'm sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which isn't good news for a Gentile. But she doesn't give up. She doesn't go home. She recognizes she has a great need, and Christ is the only one who could help her. So she makes a second plea, Matthew 15, 25. She says, it says, Then came she and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. All right, so she came again, and you can almost hear the hear the desperation in her voice. Lord, help me. Again, recognizing that Christ alone was the only one who could help her. No man could help her. No other person could help her. No family, no friend could help her in this situation. Only Christ, the Lord, Master, could help her in this situation. But notice again how Christ responded. Matthew 15, verse 27. Matthew 15, verse number uh, 26, actually. The Bible says, um, But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. Turn back to Mark. Mark chapter number seven, verse number 27. Can we see the response of Christ here? Jesus said unto her, verse number 27 of Mark 7, says, Let the children, notice here, first be filled. Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet, all right, speaking of proper, to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. So Jesus here is again reiterating what he's already said. Again, I am come to feed the children. Who are the children? The Jews, the Israelites. I am come to seek and to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, that is what I am here for. And I have come to feed the children, the Israelites. But notice that even in that statement, there was hope for the woman. Maybe you caught it, maybe not. But in the way that Christ said that, there is hope for this woman. Notice how he said it. Notice, first of all, what Jesus did not say. Jesus did not say, again here, that he came only to feed the children, but that he came first to feed the children. He came on a divine mission, and he came to offer the kingdom to to the Jews, to the Jewish nation. He was their king, prophesied to set upon the throne of David. Jesus says again, I'm not, "I'm not come only to feed the children, but I am come first to feed the children. That's the first priority: is to come and to feed the children. To feed them what? To feed them the bread of life. He is the bread of life. Again, to to present himself as their king, to present himself as their Messiah. Jesus came to the Jews for this purpose, and that is why early on in his ministry, again, that was his main focus." That was his main priority, was the Jewish nation. Eventually, as we know, again, the gospel extension will go to the uttermost parts of the earth. But as of right now, Christ focuses upon these people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Romans 15, verse 8, the Bible says this. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision, speaking of the Jews, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. So Jesus is described as a minister of the circumcision, or the minister of the Jews for the truth of God. He came to confirm the promises made to the fathers. There were specific promises that were made to the fathers, to the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then passed down through Jewish women. And Jesus came to fulfill those promises. He came to confirm his promises to the Jewish nation. Take a look at verse 27 again. Jesus said, again, with that in mind, Jesus says this it is not meat, meaning it is not proper to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. Alright, speaking of the Gentiles. Now don't get, don't stumble over that word. Alright, the Bible uses two different words to refer to dogs. Alright. Sometimes it refers to dogs as, as wild scavenger dogs. Alright, wild scavenger dogs that roam the streets and again that, that are a nuisance and that are that are dirty. All right, but the word he specifically uses here refers to household dogs. All right, dogs that sit under the table. All right, little household dogs that sit under the table that are domesticated. All right, so that is the word. The latter word is the one that Christ is using here. Christ, in, in essence, is, he refers to the Jews as the children sitting around his table. And the Gentiles are the little household dogs sitting under the table. All right, so that's the picture that Christ paints here for us. And Christ reminds this woman... That the children eat first. Whenever you prepare food, all right, you you don't feed the dogs first, and then take the crumbs and give, those to the chil- and give those to the children. No, what do you do? All right, you you feed the children first, and then the crumbs that drop to the floor that the dogs can have. All right, that the the household dogs can have that's set under the table, waiting for those crumbs. And in essence, again, that is what that's the picture Christ is Christ is painting for this woman for her to understand again the purpose of his first coming. He has come first to the Jew, as their Jewish Messiah, in fulfillment of Jewish prophecies. Again, as again, and, 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 and again, as as the one who had set upon the throne of David. Christ has come again for the children, to feed the children. Again, Christ is reminding her of this. Again, tragically, we know how things played out. The children weren't interested. The children sitting around the table were offered the bread of life. And for the most part, again, as a whole, they were not they were not interested in the bread. All right. But there's little dogs waiting for the bread. There's Gentiles that are waiting for the bread. And we see that again in this in this instance before us with this woman. All right. This woman is this woman is one of those Gentiles that in essence is sitting under the table waiting for the crumbs to fall. She, she knows who Jesus is. And she, she, she comes to him in humility and reverence. Recognizing him as Lord and as the son of David. Consider verse number 28. Consider her persistence. All right, so Christ reiterates. Can I have come to feed the children? But I've come to feed them first. Not only. All right, there's 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 food left over. But I have come to feed the children first. I have come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she doesn't pack up and go home. She continues persisting. She continues appealing. She continues her plea to Christ. And we see her third appeal. Three appeals to Christ. She keeps going. She won't give up. Verse number 28. Notice how she answers Christ. again after After what he just said. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And what humility to say that again, what faith to, that, to say that a couple of things in this statement I want to I want to point out. First of all, we see she acknowledges the truthfulness, the truthfulness of Christ's words. She acknowledges that what Jesus she doesn't argue with him. She acknowledges that what he is saying is true. She says, yes, Lord, or truth, Lord. She recognizes, as John 4.22 says, salvation is of the Jews. She recognizes that the primary focus of Christ's earthly ministry was, was Jewish in nature. Was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Was offering the gospel to the Jew first. Was presenting himself as the messianic king in fulfillment of messianic promises in the kingdom to the Jewish nation. All right. so She recognized, I'm just a Gentile. I'm an outsider looking in, but I'm an outsider looking for mercy. Again, I'm an outsider, again, looking for just some crumbs from the master's table. So we see she acknowledges the truthfulness of what Christ said. Secondly, she recognized her low place before God. Now, many people would probably be offended at what, at what Christ said and say, again, well, don't you know who I am? And don't you know who I come? Don't you know the family I'm a part of? Or don't you know that I've done this or that in my life? I I deserve to be treated better. She she didn't respond in pride and buck against what Christ said. She responded in humility, in humility and simple faith. She didn't allow her pride to get in the way. She knew that she was an undeserving Gentile. It's like again, we're, we're again, I think everyone in this room is 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 of gentile lineage. Again, we are undeserving Gentiles. Can she recognize that? She recognized that she was unworthy of the mercy and the grace of God, just like we all are. No one's deserving of the grace of God. No one's deserving of the mercy of God. Again, all of us are lowly. Again, all of us are unworthy. All of us are undeserving. Yet that didn't keep her from seeking after mercy. And it shouldn't keep us from seeking after mercy either. Again, yes, we're undeserving. Yes, again, we we don't have anything to offer Christ. But he has what we need. Will we seek him for it? Will we come before him in reverence, falling at his feet, in humility, again, seeking him by faith? Seeking him, number one, for salvation? And then, after salvation continuing to seek his face, can seek his again, seek his again, uh, fellowship within our life. And then notice the third thing here. She also requested from Jesus crumbs from the master's table. She recognized again that the nation of Israel is God's chosen nation. God made distinct and special promises to the nation of Israel. Again, we can read other passages and see, The nation of Israel, again, is is in a state of spiritual blindness today, Again, there are some Jews that are saved, and many of them are not saved in this day and age, in this church age in which we live, and that God is a future for Israel, and that God will once again, again, turn his attention back upon the Jewish nation, again, during the tribulation, and there will be a spiritual awakening, and God will fulfill many of his messianic promises during the millennial reign of Christ to the Jewish people. And so we see God. Although the kingdom has been postponed, the kingdom will come. The kingdom will come one day. But this woman recognized that she was not a Jew, and she did not come uh, for, from that special lineage of people. And all she wanted was some crumbs from the master's table. And she wouldn't give up. Again, again, and again, and again. Many things that happened that you think would that you think would deter her from coming back. You know, she continued to appeal. She persisted. She continued seeking after Christ. And because of that, Christ rewarded her. He rewarded her for her persistent faith, a faith that wouldn't give up, a a faith that that continued seeking after the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see the, the reward of Christ given in verses 29 and 30, the power of Christ and the healing of her daughter. Verse 29 and 30, the Bible says he said unto her for this saying, go thy way. The devil has gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out and her daughter laid upon the bed. So we see here Jesus again delivers her daughter. He heals her daughter. Again, he delivers her from this demon that had tormented her. And again, he does it from a distance. He simply speaks the words and she is healed. She is, healed. She is delivered from this demon. We, we also see here Jesus rewarding the faith of this woman. Jesus rewarding persistent faith. Jesus rewarding humble faith. In Matthew 15, 28, if you would turn there with me. Matthew 15, verse 28. And notice how Christ responds to this woman. Matthew 15, 28, then said Je- then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Notice here that Jesus commends her faith. He doesn't just deliver her daughter, but he commends her. He says, Great is your faith. Now Jesus only said that to two people, and both of them were Gentiles. He never said that to any Jews in his public ministry. He said that to the Roman centurion. And then he said that again to this woman right here. Jesus only commended the faith as great faith. Again, or he commended as great faith only two people. And they were both Gentiles. We see that's the case in again with this woman that we see before us in this passage. Again, the Jews, for the most part, can reject it. The light of God. They, re- they rejected the, the truthfulness, again, of Christ's words. They rejected who Christ claimed to be. They rejected their Messiah, the, the one who had come to save them. They rejected him. And the Jews, they had privileges the Gentiles didn't have anything of. They had light. They had scripture. And God had raised a prophets to speak to them. They, God dwelt with them in the tabernacle and later the temple. And God blessed them in many ways. God gave them many covenants and promises that he didn't give to anybody else. And yet when their Messiah came, many of them were too proud to humble themselves and receive their Messiah. And it goes back to what we talked about before. They allowed the traditions of men to supersede the truth of God's word. And because of that, they apostatized from God's word and they abandoned it altogether. To the point where they were blind. They were blind to the reality of who their Messiah was. Now one day they will recognize. The Bible says in, I think it's Zechariah, they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. They will look upon the one whom they crucified. And they will recognize him and they will mourn over their sins. And they will recognize their Messiah once and for all. But we see that during his earthy ministry, that for the most part, again, the Jewish nation, they rejected their Messiah. They had been given so much light, so much blessing, so much privilege. They tossed it to the wind. As if it didn't matter. They were uninter- uninter- uninterested in Christ. They even opposed his ministry and accused him of many, of many vile things. But during his public ministry, Jesus only committed the faith of two people. Like I said, the Roman centurion and this woman right here. These people didn't grow up with the light of Scripture. These people didn't have the promises and the blessings and the covenants and again all all the heritage that that the Jews had. Again, they couldn't look back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as as their forefathers. They didn't have the Hebrew scriptures. They grew up in a land that was steeped in paganism, spiritual darkness. And yet they had the humility to recognize that Jesus is who he said he was. His own people. Bible says he came, into his own and he came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. And that includes this woman right here. She recognized who the Lord Jesus was. And you know, we see here, this is really a rebuke uh, to the nation of Israel. To their apostasy, to their religious apostasy. The fact that Jesus goes into Gentile territory... Again, and, and he meets this woman who has this persistent faith, and then he heals another Gentile. Uh, we'll, we'll, look at, uh, we'll look at next time when we're together. Again, Jesus does these great works in Gentile territory. He hasn't spent much time there at all, and yet people respond in faith to what he's saying. Again, this is a rebuke to Israel. This is a rebuke to their apostasy. This is a rebuke to the abandonment of truth. They trade the truth for the traditions of men. They elevated the words of men above the word of God. A couple of things in closing I want to challenge you with. First of all, there is a challenge here to faith. There is a challenge here to faith. That's probably the most clear challenge we have in this passage. The fact that Jesus rewards persistent faith. The Bible calls us to ask, to seek, to knock, not just one time, but again and again and again and again and God never grows weary of us coming to him, of us seeking after him, of us praying to him. And do we have a persistent faith? The Bible says, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Do you continue to see Christ even when, even when there seems to be obstacles such as there was in this, in this passage? Or do you give up when the obstacles come? Do you have a persistent faith? We see here Jesus rewarded her persistent faith. He commended her persistent faith. He called it a great faith. And this is the kind of faith that God wants us to have. He He wants us to have a faith that doesn't give up. A faith that continues to persist. A faith that continues to seek after Christ. That continues to pursue him. That continues to persist. So we see here a challenge to faith. We also see a challenge to prayer. And this woman cried out to the Lord to have mercy upon her child. And she went to the only one who could help her. You now, sometimes in prayer, God uh, God waits to answer our prayer in order to see how serious we are in our prayer. In order to see how earnest we are in our prayer. Can do we pray for something? Pray for, this, uh, pray, for example, for the salvation of a loved one. And we pray and they don't get saved, so we give up and we stop praying. Or do we continue to pray for the salvation of that loved one? Do we persist in prayer? Persistent faith will persist in prayer. Can keep praying. Don't ever stop praying. Can show your earnestness in prayer. Don't give up. Can keep having faith. Keep keep pursuing Christ. Keep going before him in prayer. Can bring in your request to, to the Lord. And the Lord may answer yes, he may answer no, he may answer wait to your prayer, but keep persisting in prayer. And there's also a challenge here that I think we could easily miss this one. There's also a challenge to worship. There's a challenge to worship in this passage before us. Back in Matthew chapter number 15. And the Bible speaks of the fact that this woman came to him and she besought him in christ said i'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of israel then she came and worshipped him saying the lord help me we see here a lesson not only in faith not only in prayer but also in in worship before jesus ever did anything for her she worshipped him before jesus ever delivered her daughter from the demon she worshipped him And she worshipped him for who he was he hadn't even done anything yet and the question is do we worship him simply for who he is? You don't have to see some great miracle to worship him. Can God may answer your prayer and say yes, or God may say no to your prayer. But will you still worship him? And you may go through easy times. You may go through hard times. Will you still worship him? And when things are good, when things are up, when things are down, when things are bad, will you still worship him? When your body is healthy, will you worship him? What about when your body is sick? What about when there is disease in your body? Will you worship him for who he is? And he alone is worthy of our worship. This woman, before Christ ever did anything, she worshipped him. Why? Because he is worthy of worship. Regardless of what he does, he is worthy of worship. Whether he ever does anything for us or not, and he does many things for us, we know that. But simply because of who he is, do we worship him? Again, whether he answers our prayer, whether he doesn't answer our prayer. Again, in, in, in times of plenty, in times of barrenness, and in times when things are going good, and times when things are going bad, Again, when things are abounding or when there is affliction within our life, do we worship him because he alone is worthy to be worshipped? So we see here a challenge to faith, a challenge to prayer, and a challenge to worship. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and God, I pray that... Lord, you take the truth that has been uh, spoken this, this morning, Lord, and I pray, God, that you would use it in the hearts and lives of your people. Father God, I pray, Lord, that as we look at the uh, faith of this woman, a faith that Christ called great faith, a faith that was commended by Christ, Lord, which didn't happen very often. God, I pray, Lord, that we would look at this woman's faith, Lord, and that we would be challenged ourselves, God, or that we would ask ourselves, Lord, do we have a persistent faith, Lord? God, do we have a faith that continues asking and seeking and knocking and pursuing Christ? Or do we have a prayer life where we give up easily? Or do we have a prayer life, Lord, that continues to come before your throne Lord, continues to lift up our request to you, Lord? God, do we Lord, do we worship you, Father? Lord, do we worship you simply for who you are, Lord, simply because you are worthy, God, before there was ever a, a, any deliverance or a miracle in this woman's life, Lord, she worshiped Christ. And God, I pray that we would do the same, Lord. God, whether things are abounding or whether things are abased, Lord, whether things are great or whether things are hard, Lord, I pray that we would worship you, Lord, for you alone are worthy to be worshipped. God, grant us, Lord, this persistent faith, Lord. Help us, God, to cultivate this within our hearts. Lord, by your grace and by your spirit, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.